Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry. Sorry. We're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No. Lucky Land Casino. With cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you Lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. This episode is not brought to you by Anchor. It's actually brought to you, well, by me. I work in a few different arenas, including academia, content creation, and financial risk management, which is my current day job. I usually don't bring the day job into the other pursuits, but there is some overlap, as whether I'm in the classroom or in the office, I strive to bring order out of chaos. As Beowulf tells us, how easily treasure buried in the ground, gold hidden, however skillfully, can escape from any man. There are a lot of dragons out there that would seek to plunder your hard-earned income, and so if you live in Virginia, let's make sure that it's properly protected. Now, in the future, and for your family's sake, once you've passed beyond the circles of this world. If you're in Virginia, send me an email at mythicmindpodcast at gmail.com and we'll set up a time to connect, whether through Zoom, on the phone, or in person if we're close to each other. So go ahead and send me a message now and then come back to start the show. Welcome to Mythic Mind, where we pursue wisdom on the past between primary and secondary worlds. I'm your host, Andrew Snyder, and I am always grateful for your company. As I usually do, I want to begin by thanking each of my patrons for their support. I'm pretty busy just about all the time, and so I can only afford to keep this up with the support of my patrons. If you appreciate what I do here and you want to lend your support so I can keep going and keep increasing quantity and quality of content, including with collaborations with great guests like I'm doing this season, you can head over to patreon.com slash andrewinsnyder. And so many thanks to Aaron, Mark, Ida, William, Jocelyn, Lynn, Art, Other Aaron, Emmy, Ian, Laura, Tony, Barbara, Stash, Paul, Matthew, Don, Clinton, Jamie, Andrew, Harrison, and Patrick. And again, if you would like to support my work and gain access to early and exclusive episodes, head over to patreon.com slash andrewinsnyder. Okay, so today I would like to welcome to the show John Carswell of The Tolkien Road as we discuss Tolkien's essay, on fairy stories, which along with Leaf by Niggle and Mythopoeia provide a pretty substantial primer to Tolkien's literary philosophy. And since 2015, John Carswell has been exploring J.R.R. Tolkien's writings and philosophy through the Tolkien Road podcast and YouTube channel. He's the author of two books on the Middle-earth legendarium, Tolkien's Requiem and Tolkien's Overture. He lives just outside of Nashville with his wife and co-host Greta and their three kids. 
And as I've said in the past, I'm a longtime listener of The Tolkien Road, and you should be too. And so, without further ado, here's my conversation on, on fairy stories with John Carswell. John, so uh, welcome to Mythic Mind. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here. Absolutely. I'm glad to have you. Um, and so today we are talking about on fairy stories. But before we do that, I want to ask you a question that I'm sure you've answered a million times. You know, what I what is your experience, your draw to Tolkien? Ooh, uh, this could go on for a while. <laughs> um, I, I, it goes back, uh, my very first experience, I, you know, I was listening to one of your episodes recently and you were talking about how you read the Hobbit in middle school. And it's kind of the similar mm -hmm. thing for me. I read it in middle school. My dad, I think forced me to read it, uh, one summer because I was probably playing too many video games or something like that. And, mm -hmm. um, he was like, you're going to read this. You're going to do a book report on it. So I remember reading it being like, okay, this is interesting. And writing the book report, I wish I still had that book report, but uh, but I didn't really, it didn't grab me like, you know, in the way that, uh, that Tolkien did later. It wasn't until the films came out in the early two thousands, Peter Jackson's Lord of the Rings trilogy, um, that it grabbed me in such a, a, a deep sort of, uh, all the way down to the, to the bone marrow way. Right. Um, I saw something in those films that made me want to read the books. And so I did. And it's, uh, it's just kind of been a, um, uh, just a fascination and enchantment ever since, uh, I saw something in those stories that, um, that captivated not only my imagination, but my soul. And I wanted to get to the bottom of it and figure out where this guy was coming from. And, um, you know, and so I, I did some master's work, um, probably 15 years ago. And, um, and I wrote my thesis on Tolkien, uh, and kind of getting into the heart of this question, like, what is, what is, what is it about Tolkien's works? What was he trying to accomplish within his works? And, um, that carried over into creating the Tolkien Road podcast. And, uh, so that's been going on since early 2015 at this point. Mm -hmm. Um, and, you know, 300 something episodes in and a couple of books under my belt and, it you know the fascination just doesn't cease the man and his uh and his vision means so much to me um mm -hmm. it, it's almost like i every time i try to put it into words i can't i i just i don't do it justice and um mm -hmm. uh it's you know it's it's funny because i'll talk to people who kind of aren't necessarily there with when it comes to tolkien and you know friends or whoever and it's like kind of this weird fascination for them but for people who are are into tolkien they understand and um and it's just like I'm trying, you know, it's like a constant attempt to do justice to the beauty, uh, just this like deep beauty and power, uh, goodness, truth, all these transcendent mm -hmm. things within Tolkien's works, um, trying to find the words to express that and and hopefully invite some people along on the journey, you know, to uncover those things as well and have our lives transformed um, by what we find in Tolkien's works. Yeah, absolutely. And obviously, I can sympathize with so much of that, even though, you know, I didn't come to Tolkien until later in life, relatively recently, at least in any meaningful sense. Um, but there really is just an endless supply of you know, meaning there of truth, goodness and beauty. Um, 
you know, I just recently started going through Lord of the Rings again after now going through, you know, Silmarillion and Great Tales and, and you know, some other things. And mm-hmm. it means a new experience each time you revisit this material. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's just it's, so much there. And it's, uh, you know, to do it in the form of a podcast is interesting because um, it, it's there's something a little painful about it because, I'm you know, it's like trying to do justice to each each word of his you read because like, you mm-hmm. kind of explore it and explain it. But there's so much they're, they're, the works are so rich um, that you you just can't. And so, you know, I've done we've done a Silmarillion read through now twice. Um, and every time I'm like, that just that just wasn't good enough. That wasn't good enough. Darn it. Um, like what I what I you know, what I do. Right. Uh, not the mm-hmm. Tolkien's work, but what I'm doing. And right. um, and, uh, you know, it's the same with Lord of the Rings. Um you know, we did a chapter by chapter read through years ago, which is, you know, 60 plus episodes um, by itself. Some of them are very long chapters, so you have to take more time. And, you know, it's the it's the same kind of thing. You just you feel like uh, you hear Treebeard in the back of your mind being like, don't be hasty, don't be hasty. And it's like, <laughs> how in the world am I supposed to get through this if I if I'm not hasty? Because it, there's so much there's so much. But I just want to take like. I want to take it like one page at a time and just appreciate it for all of it, you know, all that it is too. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it, you know, it's an honor to just do the journey through these works with different, um, you know, with different people listening and to correspond with folks and to be invited onto other people's mm-hmm. podcasts to talk about it. Uh, it's, uh, it's, a, it's an honor and a pleasure. Yeah. It's, I can definitely sympathize with the kind of overwhelming responsibility of trying to talk about <laughs> Tolkien, trying to lead others. I mean, I also just recently started reading through the, the Carpenter biography mm. um, and his mind is simply incredible. Um, the, the way that he was able to grasp, you know, language and literally create worlds out of language, right? Out of philology, which, um, yeah. um, and then, um, you know, we always have this sense of kind of Tolkien imposter syndrome, right? <laughs> um, I mentioned this in the last podcast that I did that, you know, you always feel like when you're talking about Tolkien, you know, out loud, no matter how long you've been doing it, you feel like there, there's someone in, in Quinny making fun of you somewhere, right? Right. Yeah. <laughs> oh, totally. I mean, there's people, um, you know, I, I mean, I've been at this for since 2015, as I mentioned earlier, but, and, and that's a pretty long time to kind of keep your attention on, on one, uh, one writer, one creator like this. Um, but even then I'm like, I, you know, there's people who, who, uh, you know, are listeners to our podcast have been for a while and they've been at this since before I was born, you know, Mm -hmm. like, I'm like, that's, that's amazing. (laughs) And I'm just kind of like, you know, there's this thing of like, you always want to be sure to defer to those who have been at it for a lot longer and um who know who really know their stuff like ha- probably know could probably speak the languages uh with some fluency um and uh you know and and have read every volume of the history of middle earth five times you know? mm-hmm. <laughs> like um know all the details in there so um yeah i i never can feel like um i've never really felt comfortable calling myself like um a Tolkien expert or anything like that, because I, a, I know that there are people with much more expertise out there than, than I, than I have. Um, and B I'm like, how can anybody truly be, you know, an expert and, you know, in this man's, in this man's works. Um, 
uh, and I don't, I don't fault people who, who use that title necessarily. It's just one that I never quite feel worthy of using for myself. <laughs> I feel, I feel like a Tolkienite. That's the, that's the word I learned. And then it's like, I'm a follower right. of Tolkien. Like I, I want to learn from him, you know? Right. And, and I think one, one difficulty here is I feel like even Tolkien wouldn't claim to be an expert on Tolkien, right? And that, <laughs> oh, yeah. you know, he, he's constantly kind of learning himself and his own world and, you know, his constant, I mean, you know, his constant revisions and, um, you know, going through his own mind, like even Tolkien, I think was humbled by what he was doing. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and, you know, when you read his letter, I know you've been doing a series on his mm -hmm. letters um, and even in what we are going to be talking about with on fairy stories and, and other writings where he's, he talks about his creative process. Um, it's very clear that he does not see himself as like kind of, you know, willing, willing these things into existence necessarily, but it's, it's more like he's kind of following something that's an outside inspiration and, uh, you know, and, and documenting what he, what he beholds. Right. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, like, uh, you know, he'll, he'll talk about the writing of the Lord of the Rings and, the, you know, and talking about what the process looked like there. And he'll be like, you know, I was just kind of following along the journey with the characters. And, uh, you know, I think he talks about Aragorn, you know, Strider, what he discovered, he discovers mm -hmm. as Strider, right? Mm -hmm. uh, actually, as Trotter, originally, mm -hmm. I believe. And uh, when he was writing Lord of the Rings, he discovers them as Trotter, it just kind of pops up in the, you know, in the story. And, uh, and that's almost like a turning point, because initially, this was just kind of like another, you know, Hobbit adventure, you know, it was just the sequel to the, you know, it was the, it was the new Hobbit mm -hmm. when he wrote, when he began writing it, it was, uh, they were like, give us a, give us a Hobbit sequel. <laughs> so he begins writing this thing and then he discovers, you know, he's, he's a little bit of ways into it with the Hobbits and he discovers Trotter and uh, that kind of starts taking things to a whole new level. Right. And even Trotter originally was a Hobbit, right? <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, you're correct in that. Trotter was initially a Hobbit, kind of a, a different sort of hobbit, but a hobbit that uh, that they meet along their along their journey. Right. What a discovery that is to find out that your your hobbit trotter is actually Aragorn. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Uh, yeah. It, 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 there's lots of fun little things like that throughout yeah. the you know throughout the legendarium where it's like, oh, did you know that this? Um, there's one that's like it's on the it's like it's going to come to me probably later in the episode uh -huh. of what I'm trying to think of. But there's a there's a particularly interesting one um, uh, that comes along. Uh, that I was commenting on maybe not too long ago on my Twitter feed or something like that. But, uh, but yeah, there's just all, yeah. that's what's so fun is like Tolkien, there's a humility, even in his greatness, there's this, there's this deep humility that you see, you know, throughout his life as he, as he grows from, uh, you know, this, this aspiring, um, this aspire, you know, kind of, kind of aspiring writer, you know, just in terms of his career, you know, who uh, he wishes he had more time just to devote to these sort of, uh, secret vices, right? <laughs> um, mm -hmm. and, uh, and he finally, you know, very pretty late in life, really like has his, uh, you know, kind of dreams come true. Um, but he never, he never loses perspective on, um, this is not really about my greatness necessarily, even though all of us would be like, well, yeah, it is. <laughs> like, right. Um, but he, but he was under no delusion, you know, for himself. Uh, and that, that in itself is like a mark of true, of true greatness in another sense for me. Right. I mean, just to go ahead and, you know, put it as, in as uh, nerdy of a ways I can, uh, you know, much like Gandalf, just a servant of the secret fire. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. That, uh, um, and again, like all of us would be like, you know, Gandalf is this great, 
you know, uh, a great figure mm-hmm. too, but there's, but there's something about Gandalf that, um, that he would not say that about himself. There's, you know, there's the, uh, you look at Gandalf and compare him with Saruman, right? Mm-hmm. Saruman should have been, should have been the great one. Right. Uh, but, but there's a pride, there's a deep pride mm-hmm. there that gets the best of him. And, um, Gandalf ends up becoming the one who fulfills the role that Saruman was intended mm-hmm. to. And, um, uh, and it's in large part because he does not, uh, give in to that pride in the same way, mm-hmm. even though he, he right. faces the same temptation, he, mm-hmm. he does face a similar temptation. Right. And of course that takes us all the way back to the Anindale, right? <laughs> you know, the pride versus serving the good. Mm-hmm. And, Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, it's, it's just remarkable, isn't it? Like, um, the construct, like, Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. The construction of that, of the whole legendarium, uh, just how it all weaves together, you know, so perfectly. Uh, it's like, mm-hmm. it, it makes, it makes me wish, you know, and, and what Tolkien fan doesn't wish this, that, uh, that, that he had lived longer. So he could have given us more of it, you know, um, mm-hmm. Uh, there's so many things, so many, so many stories that were left untold. Uh, but even then, you know, I think within Tolkien's own mind, and this is where it starts to get really mystical as if it hasn't already been a little mystical, um, you know, within Tolkien's own mind, you know, there was this, there's this thought that, uh, yeah, and this, this gets to leaf by niggle, right. Mm-hmm. Um, that perhaps on the other side, right we're going to find out that the things that we've begun here, the works that we've begun here, however imperfectly, however incomplete do realize their own completion in some way that we can't even, we can't even begin to fathom. And that's a a truly like wonderful, beautiful thought. (laughs) It it absolutely is. It's so easy to get frustrated by our own mortality or I suppose the mortality of others, right? In Tolkien's case. Um, But, you know, like you said, what, ultimately gives beautiful things meaning is not the the temporary and the earthly, but the fact that it is transcendent and eternal and will find fulfillment. Right. And that's what makes our at least worthwhile ambitions worthwhile. <laughs> yes. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's, it's, you know, it's one of those, uh, it's another one of those topics and speaking of on fairy stories, not to jump the gun. No, please. But he gets into that within on fairest at the end of on fairy stories. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, and so, yeah. And so let's go ahead and start talking about on fairy stories, because we could just talk generally about Tolkien forever. Um, and so I know that, you know, you uh, have a particular appreciation for this essay. And so I'm just going to start very generally. What is this essay about and why do you like it so much? Well, I refer I refer to it uh, just very shorthand as uh, it Tolkien's literary manifesto. Um, I think the thing, uh, you know, as I mentioned, um, when I, when I became fascinated by Tolkien after the Jackson movies came out and I read and I, you know, so the first Jackson movie comes out 
2001. I see it in the theaters. I quick, I quickly saw it again for the second time because I loved the first one so much. And then I was like, now I got to wait a year for the next one. So I'm going to go ahead and read the books. And I read them. I probably read them. I think I read them twice in that space. Uh, you know, The whole Lord of the Rings before the next one came out. And then, you know, kind of started to wonder like, okay, I just, this is the greatest thing I've ever read. What's going on here? And so you start trying to find other other works. And so that led me to On Fairy Stories eventually. And um, and I think uh, On Fairy Stories is not, a, it's not an easy read. Like it's not, it's not something that just kind of, um, I will say to bring up uh, his, his, his good friend and fellow inkling, C.S. Lewis, uh, Tolkien was not the same kind of writer that Lewis was. Tolkien could be uh, a little, can be a little frustrating at times uh, in his sort of, uh, I, this isn't really the right term, but like wordiness, especially when he's mm-hmm. just, when he's just writing, he can be a little, can be a little elliptical. He's a little, maybe a little uh, like St. Paul in that way, where it's, it's kind of mm-hmm. like, okay, you're saying, I can tell you're, you're saying some really amazing things <laughs> that maybe isn't the most quotable way of saying it, but uh, okay. Uh, but you, you spend time with it and you figure out where he's coming from. Uh, but I think, you know, it's what, it's how he rounds it all off, right? It's those last couple of sections that really drive it home because, you know, the, the next to last before the epilogue, you have the section on recovery, escape and consolation where he starts talking about like the emotional and spiritual impact of good fantasy and the role it has to play. And that to me was like, Oh wait, cause, cause we have in our minds, uh, you know, in the modern world that fantasy storytelling it's just kind of this distraction, right? Uh, that it really doesn't, um, you know, it's just it's just something we do to to kill time until the end, right? Um, and uh, maybe some of it's better than the others, but it's kind of a you know, it, it's almost like a a utilitarian view of of fantasy and of storytelling in general, right? Um, but what Tolkien does is he he drives it home to have this much greater significance for us as human beings, right? That these are not simply distractions from uh, from the dead, ugly truth, right? Of our mortality and that the, you know, like like this this nihilistic view of of creation and of our reality, that, that these things have deep meanings and call us to a greater understanding of reality. That that there are that there is that there is something real beyond uh you know the veil of this world right that there is something greater than our reality um he goes through at the end and he talks about recovery you know recovery is uh recovery is the way is this ability to see things not as they are but as they are meant to be seen right that there's a meaning that transcends what we may think about something to escape right so i love the i love the twist he does on escape because you pe- people who are you know creative and things like that will be accused of escapism a, ro- a lot right you know you're just trying to escape from the you know from your responsibility to reality and these sorts of things and he turns i love what he does he turns it on his head and he says of course we are right like who wouldn't want to want to escape from you know from uh being falsely imprisoned right <laughs> like you know by right. some tyrant right um we we applaud we applaud those when we think about like you know the 
the escape stories of like World War II, escaping from the prison camp or from, uh, you know, a, 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 you know, from a Gestapo holding cell, right? He almost, I think, uses that sort of image there. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, he's like, we, depl- we, we applaud those people when they, when they escape, right? And, but we, when we want to escape from people who tell us reality is this ugly thing, we are told we're, we're wrong because of it. Um, and, and just the consolation of the happy ending. Right. Um, and then he ties, he ties all of that into this notion in the epilogue that, um, we are inside of the great fairy story of the great, of, of the great fantasy tale. That's in fact, not fantasy at all. Right. Um, we're inside of this story that is the gospel, uh, that is the, uh, that culminates in this, and it coins this term, you catastrophe, right. Uh, in, in the, the happy turn, the you catastrophe of the incarnation. And in that story of the incarnation, there is the happy turn of the crucifixion leading to the resurrection, the passion of Christ. So he, he, he rounds it all off by saying, guess what? We live inside a fairy tale. We inhabit a fairy tale. And when I read that, I was like, there it is. That is, that is this man's genius right there. Um, that is his, that is his secret fire, (laughs) uh, that he is serving. Um, and, uh, and you know, it, it has just fascinated me and kept me, you know, uh, coming back to this work, you know, referring to this work for years, there's a lot, you know, there's so much, there's so much wisdom in the, uh, you know, just in regards to like literary sort literary theory, um, you know, in the first half of it, um, leading up to those, you know, final parts uh, that I just kind of glossed over, but, um, you know, little, little notes like, um, you know, his, his argument that we as moderns want to kind of say like, oh, fairy tales are these nice little cute little things we tell to, you know, to kids, but they don't really have any purpose for adults. And he's like, it's like, no, a good fairy tale, a good fairy story, good fantasy should be oriented towards adults, right? If you orient it towards children, you're not doing a good job, right? Um, and uh, and even just getting into like the origins, like why do we as human beings do these things? Why did ancients, you know, begin telling these tales? Going against the uh, notion that um, you can kind of like, like the reductionist attitude that says like, well, this story is really just this story, Right. With with some little extra stuff added on, mm-hmm. and he's like, no, it's precisely the details that make it worthwhile, right? It is precisely the, it's this this maximum like creative maximalism, right? That in, instead of this like minimalist um, sort of mindset. Anyway, I, I, so I've been droning on about it for about all of this for a while, but uh, I mean that's it's it, it's uh, it's one I ref- just come back to constantly because Tolkien mm-hmm. gives us the I think he unlocks it all for us. And he says, this is where I'm coming from, right? When in all of my work in all of my stories in my legendarium, this is where I'm coming from. Yeah. I think, I think it's a great overview. And as you pointed out, we really see that his, you know, literary philosophy is inseparable from his, really his theology, right? His deepest held philosophy. And so it's all intimately connected. And this is why when you read Tolkien, you understand that something else is going on, right? Mm-hmm. And so on one hand, yeah, obviously he's not writing allegory, right? It's not Chronicles of Narnia. Uh, however, he's writing out of a deeply held belief that you know, words ultimately have transcendent and eternal significance, 
right? Yeah. And so naturally his storytelling is going to present that um, again in a very natural way, right? Yeah. Um, and so now kind of going back to the beginning, hitting on some of those points in a bit more detail um, on, the, on the most basic level, you know, he's talking about fairy, uh, which he identifies with the perilous realm, mm-hmm. you know, hence the title of this collection that we're, that I'm going through now, what for Tolkien, what exactly is fairy or the perilous realm? What does that mean? Yeah. Um, this is, this is where, um, you know, it starts getting, it, it, it's, I think it starts getting a little challenging. You know, we've been, um, we just did an, uh, an episode on Smith of Wooten major, mm-hmm. Um, which, you know, I, you'll probably be getting to soon enough. Um, yeah. and, um, it's interesting because Smith of Wooten major is a really, really challenging work for me. Um, but it has to do with that same question. It's based, it's, it's essentially the story of, uh, this, this figure who enters into the perilous realm. And, and what is this? Interestingly enough, Tolkien wrote it towards the end of his life. And <clears throat> it's really, it, the perilous realm is this place um that it 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 goes it goes beyond our reality and there's no there's no easy way of of entering into it um within the story of smith of wooten major it's like uh you know you enter into the you you enter into uh, the character enters into the woods and he kind of and it's never really clear how he eventually comes to this place but it almost seems like it's conc- it it kind of coexists with our own world um you know uh but it but it seems to you know it it seems to go beyond it. Um, I think for Tolkien, he himself was always kind of, you know, kind of like trying to get out. How do I, how do I connect it with our own reality? He almost, he almost seems to be like, it's not just something you, you know, enter into through a portal or something like that, like through kind of a special, you know, a special portal or something like that. Um, But you go off and you, and you decide to go, on an adventure and you, you enter into this other place. Um, right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So, and... sorry, go ahead. No, no, no. I, it looked like you were about, it looked like you were about to say something. So I was going to, I was going to let you say something. Yeah. So I was going to say that it's kind of on that line of it's, it, it almost blends into some level of our reality, right? It's not in, an entirely separate place. It's sort of something that we happen to on occasion. Um, now, in the last episode that I did on Leaf by Niggle, at one point I tried to identify fairy as something like the the transcendent, but then I was rereading on fairy stories, and I feel like I got that wrong because he says specifically, you know, right near the beginning, he says that um, we we shouldn't so much identify you know fairies as supernatural, right? Mm-hmm. Supernatural is actually something more applies to us as as men, right, as humans in this world. Right. Yep. And so he almost identifies the the world of fairy almost with the the hypernatural. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I know on um, on that episode, um, not your Leaf by Niggle episode, but the mm-hmm. one uh, you might have used this term in the Leaf by Niggle too. But uh, you talked about um, good fiction being hyper real, and right. you know there, yeah, there is that sense in like it's it's fairy is not so much a. Um, uh a place a place to which we go uh like we would go just anywhere else but it's a it's a it's a widening of of the vision to see the greater reality that's that's in play 
Um, now that's extremely hard to put into any kind of writing. And so uh, Tolkien, I think even within the development of his own legendarium kind of uh, had, had evolving thoughts on that over on how to, on how to depict that uh, throughout the course of his life uh, as he was creating this legendarium. Um, I, I mean, I, I think, uh, you know, at the very beginning of on fairy stories, if I can, if I can read this quote, you know, I think this is mm -hmm. pretty good on that. The realm of fairy story is wide and deep and high and filled with many things. All manner of beasts and birds are found there. Shoreless seas and stars uncounted beauty. that is an enchantment and an ever present peril, both joy and sorrow as sharp as swords in that realm. A man may perhaps count himself fortunate to have wondered, but it is, but it's very richness and strangeness tie the tongue of a traveler who would report them. And while he is there, it is dangerous for him to ask too many questions, lest the gates should be shut and the keys be lost. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. I mean, you know, and I, that's, you know, we're both stumbling over trying to put it into words ourselves right here. Right. And, mm -hmm. and there it is, right. Tie, they, it's very richness and strangeness tie the tongue of a traveler who would report them. Um, our, our imaginations are certainly involved in it, but that doesn't make it less real. Um, it, it, it's almost as if we glimpse and, you know, for me reading. Um, so my first foray into on fairy stories was through this tree and leaf. Mm -hmm. Um, and uh, in Tree and Leaf, Tree and Leaf was originally published as uh, On Fairy Stories and Leaf by Niggle together. It's been expanded to include um, uh, Mythopoeia and uh, the homecoming of uh, Bayart Noth. Uh, Mythopoeia is almost, I would argue, reading Mythopoeia along with On Fairy Stories, it's like reading Mythopoeia actually helps you like kind of is a more succinct way of of it, it it's like a poetic succinct summary uh directed at c.s lewis mm -hmm. a young a younger c.s lewis about uh about fantasy about storytelling and um so it really gets to this idea that like the this realm of a fairy is not this unreal imaginative place but it is a it is a hyper real imaginative place it's the place our imaginations take us that pull us out of the mundane and allow us to see reality as it was meant to be seen. Right. And, and I think that um, this actually ties into some of the existentialist Kierkegaardian directions that I'm going in, you know, other projects, right? He says you, you go into this realm as something that you can't really describe to others. It's kind of simply something that you experience, you know, firsthand. Mm -hmm. um, and, and he says just a couple of pages after that, that, you know, the road to fairyland, it, it's not the road to heaven or to hell. It, it's something in between. It's almost like it, it's the, the realm where we come to most perceive kind of who we are, what reality is, and what decisions we have to make in order to define our direction, right? Abs it's, abs yeah, absolutely. It's the most fundamental realm of being, yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, there's a heel. I 100% I believe that I have been uh very deeply healed from a lot of things through Tolkien's stories um and 
you know, even there, I'd be, I'd struggle, you know, and, and the kinds of things they are, are like deep psychological things. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm still, you know, still challenged by them, and, but, and still being healed, you know, sometimes realizations come to me and it's like, you know, it, it stings a little. Right. Um, but, but it's the, it's, it's the kind of sting that says like, Hey, um, you know, this is, this is work you need to do. Um, but it does, you know, it, it can put the most mundane things into a greater, uh, into a greater perspective. Uh, you know, in the, in the, in, in both of our cases, you know, we're, we're fathers and, and just the, the notion of, uh, raising children can seem like a very mundane thing, something mm-hmm. at times, uh, people are often tempted in their parenthood to think like, oh, I have other things I'd rather attend to than my kids. And, um, especially when they're young, but to, but to be able to, uh, to, to view that role and to view that role in a, in a greater, in a greater way, perhaps as, you know, and, and, you know, again, this is where somebody listening in might think it's, it sounds a little corny, but there's real truth to this viewing it as, you know, Gandalf might view his role or viewing it as Aragorn might view his role, right. In this heroic way, viewing it as Frodo might view his, his role in bearing the ring, right. You know, when it's particularly difficult, um, that these are, uh, you know, worthwhile duties, worthwhile missions, uh, and to undertake them is to, uh, is, is to fulfill something much greater than maybe we realize in the moment. Yeah. And, and you know, especially, you know, in Tolkien's case, right, all the real heroes ultimately are servants, right? Mm-hmm. Usually doing uh, what seems like a relatively small task at the time in order to accomplish something much greater. And obviously that translates into, you know, parenthood, into um, being a good spouse or our various arenas of life, right? It's it's that humble service, simply doing the task directly in front of us that's so common in Tolkien's life and is ultimately what we're called to in, you know, the primary world. And so, yeah, a- absolutely. Uh, I've, um, you know, for a while now, I- I've said that, you know, uh, Narnia is good for evangelism. Tolkien's good for discipleship. <laughs> <laughs> that's great. I love that. That's uh, I- I'd never heard it put that way, but I think that's 100% correct. Um, uh, and, you know, I mean, my in my own case, uh, just to give a little, you know, to give credit where credit's due. Um, uh, my my dad most definitely evangelized me at a young age through the, uh, the line, the witch in the wardrobe. I mean, he explained mm-hmm. the gospel to me through the story of Aslan. And I know it's at this point, it's a uh, it's almost a cliche for people to say that. But like um, but it was very true for me. Um, I remember it as clear as day when I was still very young, um, really understanding the the story of the gospel uh, through the story of Aslan. And, um, mm-hmm. you know, it, uh, and so credit where credit's due on that front, but <laughs> yeah. yeah, but then, but then now, you know, having been a Christian for so long, it's, and I still love CS Lewis. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. But, yeah. uh, but my, uh, my fascination having been a Christian for a long time and having to deal with all the discipleship questions that come, you know, mm-hmm. being a follower of Christ for a long time, going into that Tolkien informs me a lot more on that nowadays mm-hmm. than uh than perhaps c.s lewis does although c.s lewis still informs you a good bit so. of course of course yeah <laughs> all right let's now he does say that uh so the swirl of fairy um you know it also includes mortal men when they are enchanted mm-hmm. now can you talk to you a little bit about what tolkien means by enchantment yeah um this is another really wonderful idea of tolkien so uh when he's talking about 
when he's talking about fantasy and and what makes for good fantasy uh in the later parts of unfairy stories uh he uses this term enchantment over and against uh suspension of disbelief and um i think this is such an um, a amazing insight um what he's getting at is that if your if your readers or or you can apply this to just about any form of art but mm-hmm. if if a uh, if a person is beholding your work of art, we'll just we'll just stick with reading. But if your readers, the person, the people listening to your your tale, have to do this, perform this function of suspension of disbelief, right? They have to kind of be like, okay, I guess I'll play along. Um, then it's not really good fantasy, right? It's not really doing the job that fantasy should be doing. Good fantasy for Tolkien, it does this thing called enchantment. It's so well told, so well depicted that we don't have to suspend disbelief. We are simply enchanted by the story and and forget the whole idea of belief in, in the first place. Right. It's like, it, it, it seems real. And, um, and that to me was something else that drew me to Tolkien, uh, you know, early on was, man, this, this just seems like this real place, you know, um, middle earth seemed completely real uh, as if it was our own, our own place as if as, mm-hmm. as if it was a place you could just go and travel to right um you know and uh it didn't seem like a place you'd have to enter through a, a portal like through mm-hmm. <laughs> through a wardrobe or something like that right uh you could just you could just go there and uh, or maybe it doesn't exist you know in the same way now but if you had existed you know ten thousand years ago or however whatever number <laughs> then you would have you would have been there right mm-hmm. and um so that's that's like the standard, the creative standard, if you will, the aesthetic standard that Tolkien, um, that Tolkien held himself to, it's this sense of verisimilitude, right? That, uh, that the art is so well done that it just simply seems real. If it's, if, if, if it was depict, as if it was depicting something that is, uh, that is real on, on our plane as well. Right. And, and I think it's helpful to kind of look at how this enchantment kind of takes place, you know, within the legendarium, um, you consider like the sort of elven magic of sorts, which ultimately is not manipulation. It's the idea of bringing out the reality that's already there, right? Mm-hmm. Simply on a on a often hidden veiled level. Um, and I think ultimately that's what Tolkien's idea of enchantment is, that it's not a way to, you know, magically manipulate his readers. It's a way to, as you said, to kind of bring them into a reality that actually exists. It's almost to to... to bring out the hidden qualities of the reader, right? That's kind of what enchantment is in the right sense, as opposed to a bad story, which, you know, will have an effect on the reader, um, but usually one of more, um, you know, manipulation. You know, this is the, the difference between, um, you know, Gandalf, whose whose task is to, you know, kindle the hearts of men, right? Inspire and bring out the good that is, ultimately there on some level versus the the Saruman who is more of the you know industrialist magician magician trying to you know recreate the world in in his image essentially (laughs) yeah yeah um no that's that that's an absolutely uh you know key insight as well um for Tolkien it was very like the elves the elves play a very important function uh See, I hate even talking in those terms when it comes to Tolkien because it's like they don't play a function. They're like they're this integral but thing. They are who they are, right? <laughs> in, in his story, you know, right? Um, 
because he wasn't doing this thing where like, let me tell you the story. Here's good guys. Here's bad guys. You know, um, he was, it was just this completely like organic process, you know, trying to, trying to like harness some of what he was, he felt kind of flowing through him. Um, and, and the elves in that way depict, like they depict, they depict something of that. The elves look at the world and they want to develop the the nature of a thing they have insight into the nature of a thing and what it what it could be right there's that question of like what it's intended to be and so they will you know they will look at a tree and they won't think oh well that looks like it would be good for chopping down and turning into firewood uh so you know uh, caveman you know caveman think want me stay warm right mm -hmm. um uh the the elf looks at that and they're like we can nurture these trees to you know being these great things. And then we can, you know, build Lothlorien there, right. Mm -hmm. um, this kingdom that really respects the nature around us, but almost looks supernatural in a way, right. Like a uh, hypernatural, whatever, however we want to term it, mm -hmm. but it's um, it, it's a beautification and a, uh, and a development of the natural realm that has deep respect for the natural realm. Uh, but, de but, but develops it further. And so it kind of goes against this idea that like, we just need to leave nature alone and not do anything with it. Uh, but it also goes against this this kind of counterpoint idea, which is um, that we need to manipulate nature. We need to uh, we we can use nature for it, you know, to, to and kind of violate it as we see fit in the name of progress and technology, right? Uh, and and magic that word is such an interesting word for Tolkien uh, because people think fantasy, and they that's probably the first word they think mm -hmm. of just in terms of the genre is like um, you know is magic. And for Tolkien, that word is uh, is a bad word. There was the the, the biopic um, that came out a few years ago about Tolkien. Uh, there's a scene in there, you know, and and not not to get into any of my thoughts on that movie necessarily, but there's a scene in there that drove me crazy because uh, at one point he tells, you know, the young Tolkien tells um, Edith, you know, something along the line. It's something kind of corny, but it's like, you know, oh, you make me feel magical or something like this, and I'm like, no. Tolkien would not have said that, right? Or at least he may have said mm -hmm. that then, but that's not true to like who he was, right? And how right, he would have right. understood that term. Because for Tolkien, magic is the same thing as sort of like you, you use the term the industrial, like the industrialist, <laughs> like like how can I manipulate reality, uh, you know, through through my wisdom, right? Through my mm -hmm. kind of like uh, you know, uh, calculation and wisdom in order to achieve these kind of great things that will make me powerful, right? Um, instead of having a humility towards nature uh, and respect of how it should, you know, how it should properly be used. Mm -hmm. Right. And I know Tolkien even makes the point that, you know, if Gandalf were to, you know, get the ring and become ring Lord, right. He would essentially be um, worse than Sauron, right. Cause he would be, you know, trying to order the world in a, in a righteous way but in a, ultimately in a self-referential self-referential self-righteous way right and so yeah. that would be the the turn from the the Gandalf we know the you know servant of the secret fire to the you know manipulator trying to kind of bring everything into his vision of how the world should be and I think that right there is a good contrast in magic versus enchantment <laughs> absolutely yeah and the, and the ring is kind of the primary uh the one ring Sauron's ring is the is a kind of mm -hmm. primary work of uh sauron that that depicts this because it um and it's it's and it's really interesting because he 
he leverages the uh the wisdom and the peculiar like kind of insight and uh um gift of the elves right their their particular sort of insight into nature and he leverages that to his own ends right to create the one ring which is the ruling ring uh and this idea of the ruling ring is just it's it's so applicable uh in so many ways uh but it's this it's this concept of creating a technology that um that binds together that makes one super powerful but also uh grants one the ability to control right to control others mm -hmm. uh to have domination over others mm -hmm. right um i think i could go in that direction for a while now but to kind of bring it back toward the end of on fairy stories you know you mentioned the idea of the, the gospel ultimately being a fairy story now uh, obviously that kind of makes sense in light of everything we've discussed but most people right you hear the gospel's a fairy story uh, suddenly you sound like an atheist right right so <laughs> can you unpack that a little bit absolutely yeah um yeah it's it, it is a it is a funny there yeah there's these little uh it, it's just like with scripture right you can you can pull little things out of scripture um you know uh that if you pull them out of context they sound they sound like they mean the opposite of what uh, they actually mean mm -hmm. um Tolkien, uh, I'm trying to think, does he ever actually say the, uh, let me, let me pull up the exact quote. Cause I, I, I think it's worthwhile to read this exactly as he yeah. says it. Um, I would venture to say that approaching the Christian story from this direction, it has long been my feeling, a joyous feeling that God redeemed the corrupt making creatures, men in a way fitting into this aspect as to others of their strange nature. The gospels contain a fairy story or a story of a larger kind, which embraces all the essence of fairy stories. So if you just take that line mm -hmm. right there and uh, you're like Tolkien, you know, it's like, you know, you think of it in like modern, like newspaper <laughs> terms or something like that. Like Tolkien gospels contain a fairy story. <laughs> like, right. Dun, dun, right. Dun, right? Uh, and then all the like, you know, hot takes happen on YouTube mm -hmm. and, you know, mm -hmm. uh, you know, commentators left and right <laughs> have their own way in on that. Um, no, if you have to read the whole thing of, what Tolkien was getting at before when you see that for him, fairy tales are not untrue things that they are, they're truths that go beyond our reality. Then it starts to make sense what he's getting at, but I'll, I'll continue right. on. They contain many marvels, peculiarly artistic, beautiful, and moving mythical and their perfect self-contained significance. And among the marvels is the greatest and most complete conceivable you catastrophe. But this story has entered history in the primary world. That is this desire or the desire and aspiration of subcreation has been raised to the fulfillment of creation. The birth of Christ is the eucatastrophe of man's history. The resurrection is the eucatastrophe of the story of the incarnation. This story begins and ends in joy. It has preeminently the inner consistency of reality. There is no tale ever told that men would rather find was true and none which so many skeptical men have accepted as true on its own merits. For the art of it has the supremely convincing tone of primary art, that is, of creation. To reject it leads either to sadness or to wrath. So, I mean, just just an incredible quote. I mean, you could do probably several episodes on that uh, mm -hmm. that one paragraph right there. But um, so, but just to kind of summarize and get back to your question, mm -hmm. what does he mean by that? Well, he's saying that um, we we are not wrong to view our own reality as part of a greater story right as part of a, a story that transcends whatever we might be going through day to day just like frodo found himself 
raised up into this great story all of a sudden after years living in the Shire, right? Mon- kind of mundane Shire life, right? Maybe listening to some of, you know, Uncle Bilbo's tales. He finds himself raised up and all of a sudden he's undergoing this incredible trial himself, right? Uh, for the sake of not only, certainly not only himself, but for the really the world at large, for all the free peoples of Middle Earth. Um, in the same way, you know, that that's the truth of our lives, that we exist day to day in this world where there's so much going on, both in, in kind of the, if we were there, we'd see it going on sense, but also in the transcending what we can see, what we can behold by the senses sort of realm. Um, and he's saying that that's the gospel, right? That, that we, we live in this world where the gospel has, uh, has, has entered into history, right? God himself has entered into history. That's why he calls the incarnation, the chief catastrophe of man's mm-hmm. story, right? Um, you know, as Christians, we believe that, that absolutely Christ was a historical figure and that the, the, the gospels themselves are historical writings, right? That they, they depict historical events, things that actually happened. If you went back in time and you saw those things, you, if you were in, mm-hmm. in those places at those times, you would see them happening, right? You would see them happening with your own eyes, but that even in those things, there's a deeper reality going on. And the gospels give us some, the gospels give us that, right? They, they show us the things that were, that were going on behind the scenes, um, as it were. Um, so yeah, you know, uh, this, this is just one of those things where, you know, you can, I mean, it's just a fascinating, it's a fascinating concept. Um, but it, knowing that our own story is part of the, is part of the same history that the gospel story is a part mm-hmm. of raises our individual stories up into the gospel story as well. Mm-hmm. We yeah. we're we're inside of a great fairy tale. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I mean, as you know, C.S. Lewis says later on, right. The gospel is myth become fact, right? Yes. <laughs> yeah. It is the ultimate story come true in historical fact. Yeah, absolutely. And, and this was, um, you know, this, this was, this was an idea, you know, the, with Lewis and Tolkien, like, you, you know, with these, uh, on fairy stories, mythopoeia, um, uh, you know, the Hobbit, the Lord of the Rings, uh, you, you, when you, when you read Lewis kind of next to Tolkien, you realize just how deep the influence these two, uh, mm-hmm. you know, just how deep their influence was on each other. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, especially for a particular period in time that was very, important for both of them um they had a deep uh influence on one another um and a beautiful beautiful little snippet of what uh you know what Mm -hmm. true friendship can can uh can mean for two people yeah absolutely um well i think we've covered a lot of material do you have anything else to kind of leave us with or any other parting words uh i so um i just hope um I hope people find this inspiring. I hope people will pick up on fairy stories and read it for themselves as, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's challenging. It's, it's like all of Tolkien's other works. It's kind of initially it's a little challenging, but you, but it's worth it. It is 100% worth it. And it's, uh, you know, for many it's, it's life transforming, right. To, um, uh, to, to take the, to do the work necessary to, uh, you know, make it through. I would yeah. also, I, I don't know if you plan because it, it it, uh, I know you're going through the tales from the perilous realm. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, I don't know if you plan to cover Mythopoeia at any point, but uh, I would highly recommend folks read Mythopoeia. Um, mm. It is, uh, like I said, in Tree and Leaf, it's it follows right after on Fairy Stories. Um, it's a pretty short read because it's just it's basically six a six page long poem, but it is uh, it is directed from Tolkien. He doesn't say it's directed to Lewis, but we know it's directed to Lewis uh, when Lewis was was not yet a uh, a believer, and um, uh, and it's a beautiful it it, it I, I'd say it, it captures in poetic form a lot of what Tolkien is mm-hmm. getting at in On Fairy Stories as well. So it's a great companion uh, to read side by side with On Fairy Stories as well. Um, and uh, and then I'll just say if you if I will just say if you didn't listen to uh, Andrew's episode on Leaf by Niggle, then you need to go back and do that because mm-hmm. Leaf by Niggle is uh, is I think where it, it the the th- these three things go together just in my mind, and maybe mm-hmm. it's because I first experienced them together here. But uh, Leaf by Niggle is it, on Fairy Stories is the is the manifesto, uh, the Larry manifesto for Tolkien. Mythopoeia is um, is the dialogue with somebody who disagrees with him. And, um, and Leaf by Niggle is the inspired vision of what Tolkien was getting at throughout his life. And it's, and it's a, and it's a story that like has this application to, I think each, each and every one of us that, that puts our, our lives in, uh, in perspective, um, in a way that maybe no other story I've ever read does. So <laughs> so yeah, the, go go listen to Andrew's episode on on Leaf My Niggle for sure. All right, yeah, that was a good summary bringing all that together. Um, to echo some of what you just said, I teach a, a course in uh, Christian worldview, and in the section on uh, storytelling, literature, and whatnot, I have them read on fairy stories. And uh, yeah, when when they tell me that by the end they were starting to get some idea as to what he was saying. I'm happy. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah, definitely. It's worth the slog through for that first read. Um, I also like that you called it a manifesto because it's definitely something that radicalized my thinking and yeah. manifestos and radicalization definitely go hand in hand. Um, yeah, yeah, that's right. And uh, one, one other quick note, and sorry not to, yeah. not to draw no, it. It's just one of those things where I can kind of get going. It's really interesting that, um, that Tolkien uh, on fairy stories uh, is a, in its conception uh, came about just as he, like during the time. So just as the Hobbit uh, was becoming kind of a sensation in its own time, but before he wrote um, the Lord of the Rings. So um, it's really interesting too, just to kind of see his own developing thought. He had been creating middle earth for uh, the legendarium for about 20 years at that point. Uh, But he was just figuring out how to bring the Hobbit into that world. Um, And so it's really fascinating too, just to understand how his his thinking developed between the Hobbit and the Lord of the Rings, because you can see in the Hobbit, uh, he's almost rebuking himself a couple of times and on fairy stories because of uh, you know there's parts of the Hobbit where he gets a little too winky winky with the kids, right? Mm-hmm. Like you know it's like mm-hmm. it's like uh, you know he 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 falls into that that trap of telling fairy tales that that then he goes on and, and on fairy stories to say don't do this, don't don't wink at the kids, you know, when you're, when you're telling your stories, right. Tell the story uh, as if you're telling it as if it were real and telling it to an adult and, um, and the kids will, the kids will follow, the kids will follow suit. And that's absolutely true. There's so many kids who, uh, who read Lord of the Rings at a much younger age than I did and are just fascinated by it. 
Right, absolutely. Though I will say, I, I do still appreciate in uh, Lord of the Rings and in, in the Fellowship that one fox, right, who <laughs> who has that thought. Yeah. Um. <laughs> no, I mean yeah, it's a uh, well, and and it's not like it's not like Tolkien ever became. Um, I mean, even you know, even a character like uh, Tom Bombadil can be, mm-hmm. um, you know, can seem like he's he's you know he's just this weird little fairy tale character, <laughs> but then you read you understand more deeply what what Tolkien was doing there, and mm-hmm. uh, and you realize that it's actually there's much more there than you realized. Um, yeah, uh, and and I mean, it's you know that that's part of the fun of Tolkien to me is mm-hmm. like he does have those little things those little one-off references that are just kind of like, what's going, what's going on with that. But even, right. even the Fox, right. The Fox. Um, and I, and I, I know the reference you're referring to, it's been a while mm-hmm. since I uh, laid eyes on it. Uh, but what is the, he kind of mentions the Fox. Um, like it's weird seeing hobbits in this area. That's right. He, they, but he, he never finds of, out anything else about it. <laughs> he goes inside the Fox's head for a minute when he sees the <laughs> hobbits. Right. Um, one of the things that on fairy stories is he mentions that, that, that we have, that most humans have this desire to be able to speak with animals, right. Mm-hmm. To understand the mind of yeah. animals. Right. Um, so even that plays into, mm-hmm. uh, you know, what we're seeing here. And it also plays into this idea of like respect, uh, respect for nature. So it's just, mm-hmm. uh, Tolkien had a mind, like, like none other I've been able to find. I mean, it's yeah. just in uh, a mind that I truly love and uh, admire. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, thanks, John. This is a good conversation, and I definitely appreciate you coming on. All right. Thanks so much, Andrew. I really enjoyed it. I really enjoyed that conversation, and I hope that you did too. Before the season's over, I'm definitely going to need to loop back around and spend some time with Mythopoeia to round out uh, what we've discussed here. In the next episode, I'll be discussing Tom Bombadil with C.R. Wiley, author of the book In the House of Tom Bombadil. Tales from the Perilous Realm, which we're working through now, contains the collection of poems titled The Adventures of Tom Bombadil, and so I thought that this conversation would be a worthwhile tie-in. I recorded this conversation right after speaking with John, and so I'm releasing them simultaneously on Patreon. And so, uh, regardless of where you're listening to this right now, you can go ahead and find my conversation with C.R. Wiley if you are a patron. And if you aren't, this is a great time to join. Go ahead and head over to patreon.com slash andrewnsnyder to support my work and to gain exclusive access. And I leave you now with the final paragraph of On Fairy Stories. But in God's kingdom, the presence of the greatest does not depress the small. Redeemed man is still man. Story, fantasy, still go on, and should go on. The euangelium has not abrogated legends. It has hallowed them, especially the happy ending. The Christian still has to work, with mind as well as body, to suffer, hope, and die. But he may now perceive that all his bents and faculties have a purpose, which can be redeemed. So great is the bounty with which he has been treated, that he may now, perhaps, fairly dare to guess that in fantasy he may actually assist in the affiliation and multiple enrichment of creation. All tales may come true, and yet, at the last, redeemed. They may be as like and as unlike the forms that we now give them as man, finally redeemed, will be like and unlike the fallen that we know. That's it for now, and I wish you meaningful trails ahead.